<laughs> That's why I'm trying to get going, because I got a lot here. I had to cut some things out. Um, so hopefully you guys have better memory than me, because um, I'm going to start off sort of where we left off last time I spoke. Uh, but for people with memory like me, I'll give you a quick condensed recap. Um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God sent some plagues to influence the Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And then after nine plagues, the Pharaoh almost let the Israelites go, but because of the hard heart of the Pharaoh, he would not let them go. So then God, in response, promises to send one last plague that will set the Israelites free. And that last plague is what we call the Passover. The Lord instructed the Israelites with specific instructions on what to sacrifice and how. They took the blood and spread it on the doorway. And because the Israelites believed and followed the instructions, judgment didn't come on them. But since the Egyptians did not obey, they were judged. God sent a destroyer to kill all the firstborn except those who had faith in God and followed his instructions. Then the Pharaoh made the Israelites leave because there wasn't an Egyptian household without someone dead. So before I get, go further, let's go ahead and pray. Um, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that we can gather today. I just pray that you fill me up with your Holy Spirit, that you give me specifically your words to speak to your people. And not my cleverness that moves your people, but your power. So I just pray that every word that I speak is with power from your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you move us to be more like your son, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and start in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, and also 11 and 12. And when you find it, please stand for the reading of God's word. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most, most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then he goes on to say, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, us Christians, on whom the culminations of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. You may be seated. So I started here because I wanted to remind us that being in the New Testament doesn't mean that it completely changes who God is. A lot of the way he operates is still the same because the Bible tells us that our God never changes. But because of this new covenant that we have, he has empowered us by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Now, we have been given everything we need to follow God, unlike the Israelites did. Paul mentions the Israelites are examples for us. I skipped a few verses because it was just more examples on how God punishes the disobedient and the unfaithful. But Paul points out, that those Israelites participated in the same spiritual food as Christians today. It reminds us that Exodus is an example for us. 
We can learn how to follow God and avoid mistakes of the Israelites. There's a warning because faith is more than just believing Christ died for us on the cross. Paul warns the Corinthians that they could die like the Israelites in Exodus. The Israelites died in the wilderness and not the promised land. Spiritually speaking, us Christians can die in the wilderness and not the promised land if we do not continue in the faith. Faith is a journey, and it isn't over as soon as we believe. And that's going to be important to understand as I go through this lesson today. Before we get to that, let's start with where we left off. And the last time we finished, we were reading about the Passover. Uh, So let's start reading what happened after the Passover. This is found in Numbers 33, 3 and 4. The Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day of the first month, the day after the Passover. They marched out defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them. For the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. You see, this is a huge power shift. After the Passover, there is no more asking to leave. The Israelites have been set free. The Egyptians who profited from the labor of the Israelites are paying for their actions by burying their firstborn. They, look, they took advantage of what God calls Israel. He calls them his firstborn. So now, what do the, the Israelites do with their time? Well, we find this in Exodus 13, 20 and 21. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham at the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. I'm not using my southern accent. That's not a pillow. A pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them the light, so that they could travel by day or night. When we believe and are set free from Egypt or slavery to sin, we are led by the Spirit. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. So the Israelites are set free. Now it's time to go to the promised land, right? So here's what the Lord says, found in Exodus 14, 1 through 4. They're on their way to the promised land, and then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are, not to, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden the Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through the Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. What did the Lord tell them to do? He told them to turn back. Not everything God leads us to do will make sense to us. We have to be ready to submit to whatever God tells us to do. God tells Moses he is going to get glory because of them turning back. And that should be our number one priority. So the Pharaoh changes his mind again. He sees the Israelites wandering around and decides he is going to take them back. The Lord has the Israelites camped by the sea with nowhere to go. Here's the response of the Israelites. We find this in Exodus 14, 10 through 14. As the Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. There were 
and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us up here to the desert to die? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance, or another word for that, salvation of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you will need only to be still. So they are trapped and overpowered by the Egyptians. At least that's how it looks if we use our natural eyes. Now with our spiritual eyes, we are never trapped, for God, uh, trapped with God. He can always provide a way out. There isn't anything God can't do. Right now, even though the Israelites saw the plagues, they were there for the Passover, they still were weak in faith. So God told Moses to split the sea. And there was a water wall on each side, and they walked through on dry ground. They did this with the blessing of God. Now remember, they were led by the fire and the cloud. The Egyptians followed them. What were the Egyptians led by? Well, they were led by greed and their gods. Trying to walk out this Christianity without the Spirit doesn't work. Remember, the Pharaoh confessed that there is a powerful God. He confessed that Moses is God's servant. Many times he told him to pray for him. But there's something the Pharaoh never did. He never submitted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, the Pharaoh was a believer. It's very likely we all know Pharaoh believers, people that believe like the Pharaoh. Now, there's a difference between believing there's a God and there's a difference between believing in God. So when the Pharaoh and his army tried to follow in the water, the Lord fought against them and drowned them. All of the Egyptians were drowned. Look at the reaction of the Israelites. We find this in Exodus 14, 31. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Ironically, when we get baptized, We show we put our trust in God and his son, Jesus. The drowning of the Egyptians is a visual of our baptism. Egypt is what a Christian leaves behind in the waters of baptism. The water saves uh, the Christian like the water saved the Israelites. And this is found in 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. There's nothing special about the water, but what is special? It's your pledge to keep a clean conscience that has the real power. 
As Paul says, we bury our old life in baptism. We bury our slavery to Egypt in those waters. We pledge allegiance to a new Pharaoh, and that Pharaoh is Jesus the Messiah. A king that has a kingdom that will last forever. A king that will help us so we don't go back into the bondage of sin. Jesus cares what we go through because he came down from heaven and experienced temptations and hardships of being a man. Just like the Israelites were saved from Egypt, we are saved from sin. And we can find this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive when Christ, with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So what do these verses say we have been saved from? Well, most often people will say Paul is talking about eternal salvation. And I'm not saying that grace doesn't give us eternal salvation, that we still need grace for eternal salvation. But just in the context of what we're reading here, um, what does it say we have been saved from? Um, A lot of people think that because we've just been told over and over he's talking about eternal salvation here. Uh, They've been doing that probably for hundreds of years. But when you read this, you actually don't see that in the context. There's not a mention of eternal salvation. Not that it isn't a part of that. But in context, we will see Paul is talking about being saved from sin. And we can see that if we just read a few verses earlier. In Ephesians 2, starting in 1 through 3, as for you, this is what he saved you from. As for you, talking to New Testament Christians, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You used to live, past 10, used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You used to be disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. Paul says we have been saved from the slavery of sin to do good works. We can't do good works that Jesus has for us if we are slaves to sin. We can't boast about that because when, we are, when he saved us, we were sinners. The Israelites couldn't boast because God rescued them from Egypt when they were still sinners. God has a purpose for them too. He is going to use them to punish the nations that he mentioned earlier and make the land holy. Just like today, we are supposed to make the land holy. We don't fight physical battles like they did. We fight spiritual battles. So the Israelites are rid of Egypt What do they do next? At this point, the Israelites left their land and now have become sojourners. Do you know we are sojourners too? Israelites' goal and destination was the promised land. 
Our goal and destination is a promised land too. We find this in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country that they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So how do we get to this heavenly city? How did the Israelites, how were they led? Well, the cloud and the fire led the Israelites by day and night. When the cloud would stay in one place, so would the Israelites. If it would move, so would the Israelites. They knew to stay in step with the cloud so they could stay in God's strength and provision in his direction. So what is the New Testament cloud? What do we walk in? We find this in Galatians 5, 16 through 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, which is like people that um, like to argue a lot and separate, uh, jealousy, fits of rage, no road rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who live like this or walk like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, like I said, in baptism. We have crucified the flesh with its powers and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. A new covenant Christian doesn't walk where they want. Being jealous or drunk or self-ambition and other things like that, that leads back to Egypt. Those who are going to receive an inheritance are led by the Spirit. And when we walk through this life, we all have a destination. And how do we know where we're going to end up? Well, we've got to look at what is leading our lives. Can we say we're Spirit-led if we do those sinful things that it, it just mentioned? If we lead joyful and peaceful and loving lives, what does this thing say that we're going to inherit? There's this sense that people say Christians fake this. And I'm not giving you instructions to fake it till you make it. I'm not saying to pretend that you're happy and joyful when you're not. But what I am saying is meditate on all the good things God has done. And when you truly see him for who he is, you can't help to be joyful about that. 
There are times of sadness and deep sorrow. People go through that. I'm not saying when you lose a loved one that you just go out there with a smile because we're probably going to tell you to go to the mental hospital. But there, as you know, normally if we have our eyes set on what God has for us, the things that he does, it will make us joyful. It, that's what he says. That's a fruit of the Spirit. But as Christians, we know that we have a destination that God has reserved for us. If we are digging into his word and praying for things to happen, there should be a change in us. We will start having fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives. We shouldn't have to fake any of this if we continue in it. There is this cooperation between God and his people. And what is our part in this cooperation? Well, according to Galatians 5, we keep in step with the Spirit. And then what is God's part? He's to lead us. So Sarah often teases me because when we go places, she will be talking to me. And the next minute, she's over there talking to me and I'm gone. Because uh, I always get distracted and run off. So much that she bought me this t-shirt. So, if I was given a million dollars to stay beside her, do you think I would run off? Or if I accidentally wandered, people are thinking he still would fail. Okay, so if I accidentally wandered off, and notice when I run back right away, how much better is our inheritance from God than a million dollars? If you have your eyes and your affection on the flesh, what happens if the Spirit is leading you another direction? Do you think you'll stay in the realm of the Spirit? Would you get separated from the Spirit that marks you? Remember, the Spirit is leading you. You aren't an equal. You aren't a senior partner. The Spirit has authority over your life. So what happens if you decide to tell the Spirit, go on ahead, I desire the flesh? And what happens if you die that day and you have to face Jesus on the judgment seat? Well, listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 10. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all, all of us, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive things done in their body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So Paul says we walk by faith by aiming to please God because what we do in our body affects how God judges us. He points out that God judges all people. There is no blank screen, and yes, that means God can see if we do bad or good. Just because Jesus died for a sin, it doesn't make God blind. Yes, he does forgive sin. He's a forgiving God, but we, we don't want to just assume that he just looks away just because we believe that he died for our sins. So what do we do if we have been walking in the flesh? Well, we turn around and we cry out to God to forgive us and enable us to walk in the Spirit. And I want to challenge you guys during this week 
to meditate on Galatians 5, to go through all the things it says about walking in the flesh. So there will be a warning sign that goes off in your head like, oh man, I'm moving toward the flesh, danger. Or the Spirit, to encourage us to get in the Spirit and meditate on what it says, the fruit that should be growing when we walk in the Spirit. So for me to remember, since I'm not a good rememberer, I don't know if that's a word or an action, a rememberer, um, what I did is um, I posted it where everybody says I spend too much time, the bathroom. So I'm in the bathroom wall, I got it right there, I got walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit. So when I, when I wake up in the, in the morning, that's usually one of the first places I go to the bathroom to remind me that there is a heavenly city that I want to wake up and move towards every single day. And I want it to be our goal as a church to all be moving the same direction towards that heavenly city. So if that's what your desire is, I'm going to close in prayer and just have agreement in your hearts with this prayer. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you died to send your spirit to live in us. I just pray that you would continue to draw us close to you that we can't carry this without your grace. So you have to give us the ability to carry this out. I pray that you send reminders and people to encourage us as we walk. I pray that you don't let us forget how good and amazing you are and the gift that's waiting for us. I pray that you help us memorize Galatians 5 so that we see the warning signs if we're heading the wrong direction. I pray that you would put our focus and affection on you so that we'll never go the wrong way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.